a Starbucks barista tells, that, that's somebody who makes coffee. A Starbucks barista tells of the time that she got the following order. A customer came in and ordered a 31-ounce vanilla sweet cream cold brew with two pumps of vanilla, three pumps of caramel syrup, two pumps of cinnamon dolce syrup, two pumps of hazelnut, two pumps of toffee nut syrup, two pumps of mocha, two pumps of white mocha, two pumps of pumpkin sauce, three pumps of maple pecan syrup, five shots of espresso, Woo! and oh yeah, light ice, please. <laughs> Was there room for ice to begin with? Now, listen, you don't have to, I don't think, have ever even stepped foot into a Starbucks to, to recognize that that is a custom order. That, that's not on the menu board anywhere, okay? Uh, but custom orders get uh, bigger and significantly more expensive than a fancy cup of coffee, uh, if you could call that coffee, what we just described. Uh, for example, you can go to Chevy's website to custom order a brand new Silverado 1500 pickup truck with everything you think you need <clears throat> the base model, regular cab, okay, just, just you and one other person basically, because nobody wants that person sitting in the middle of the front seat. That's so annoying. I uh, spent, you know, the, the better part of my youth in the middle seat of an F-150. Uh, anyway, the base model, regular cab, standard bed, $38,195. It doesn't look too bad, but $38,195 of my uh, hard-earned, yeah, I don't know about that. But here's the thing, all you have to do is scan your eyes to the other side of your computer monitor and you can now be looking uh, straight at uh, the higher model. It's not all that high though, it's still the base model, but it has an extra cab. Whoop, hold on, that's not the base model. Let, let's stick with this for a second. It's still the base model that we're talking about, but it's got the extra cab, so you can see three more people in the back, we're saying, but it's still the standard bed the price shoots up $6,000. That's $2,000 ahead if you're you know, doing math there out there in the pews to, to seat people in the back there. $44,195 is what we're talking about. Now, if you select that model, forget about the existence of starving children in the world, spend like you're in Congress, and in eight mouse clicks, you can have this bad boy, and you're looking at $78,370. I said $78,370. Yeah, that's what, that's what, see, I need that on the screen. Wow. <laughs> that's custom order right there, and it'll cost you, okay? But how about one more? What really stands out, or one of the things that really stands out about this custom order was the customer. The customer is as high profile as they come. Some have described them as uh, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, without beginning or end, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all of the above. And this particular customer was custom ordering a boat. He said it needed to be made of gopher wood with several rooms covered inside and outside with pitch, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits tall, with a window whose height reaches to within one cubit of the top of the boat, with a door on the side, with a lower, a second, and a third deck. Now, you might be wondering, probably not, but you might be wondering who would order such a boat, and if they were immaterial, how would they use the boat? What are they going to use the boat for? Sometimes I wonder the same thing about these guys that are buying $80,000 trucks, but that's a whole other story. The boat wasn't for the customer's use. This boat was not for the customer's uh, uh, personal use anyway. It was for one of his friends, you might say. For somebody that, that he loved, that, that he cared about, and, and this guy cared about him as well. This boat was designed to save lives. 
That's what this boat was for, this custom order boat. When God commissioned Noah to build the ark, God wasn't asking for bells and whistles, you know, to flex on his neighbors or to have the, the coolest uh, uh, boat on the block or anything like that. Every detail had a purpose, and that purpose was to save Noah and his family, okay? So this morning, I want to bring you a message called Standing Next to the Boat. Standing next to the boat. We're going to be surveying uh, events that, that span throughout Genesis chapters 6 through 9. Uh, relax, we're not going to read the whole thing, not all of those uh, chapters. We're, we're, going to, we're going to kind of pop in and out here a little bit. We're going, to, we're going to look at this, and it's going to lead us to that, and, and we've got reasons for doing all of this, okay? We're going to see a, a few different stories. We're going to see the story of corruption, first of all. We're going to see the story of corruption. Then we're going to see the story of the end, the story of the end, and then last, we're going to consider the story of you, you personally, we're going to consider the story of you, and in each of these stories as we go along, I want you to keep in mind this idea, this, this concept of standing next to the boat, this idea of standing next to the boat, uh, standing next to the boat in faith, like Noah as he was building the boat, Standing next to the boat, uh, rejecting and, and maybe mocking Noah or someone who would be faithful to God in, in that kind of endeavor, in that kind of project for God. Or standing next to the boat as the flood water started to rise up to ankles and then knees and then higher and higher it goes until uh, you're out of time. And then finally, like I said, we're going to look at this idea of the story of you. And so we're going to talk about standing next to the boat where you. You next to the boat? You on the boat? How do you know? Is it time to, to get it figured out? That sort of thing, okay? So first things first, we see the story of corruption. I told you that. In Genesis chapter 6, the story of corruption, we come to verses 5 and 6, and the scripture says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <clears throat> That's bad. Verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And then skip down to verses 11 and 12 with me, and Scripture says this. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12 says, God looked on the earth, and behold, it was, there's that word again, corrupt. And all flesh had corrupted, or for all flesh, had corrupted their way upon the earth. You see the word corrupt three times in two verses there? What do you think the world was at that time? Yeah. Boy, you guys are sharp. It's 10.55 in the morning. Did everybody have their coffee? Nicely done. I mean, for real. If I, if I didn't have that thing in my hand, yeah, applause for you guys. Look, when a, when a program or a process or a person is, um, it breaks away from the prescribed program the prescribed course, we can describe that person, those things, whatever it may be, as corrupt, right? We say things have been corrupted. Uh, programs can be corrupted. Files on computers, oh, it happens all the time, and everybody calls me like I'm a computer expert, you know, and I'm not, by the way, just putting that out there in public from the stage, but anyway, we know files can become corrupted, and it's a problem. It happens a lot. People can become corrupted. You know, you guys are immediately thinking about your least favorite politicians right now. I get it, and we, we think about the corruption and things like that, and it, it's rampant. We, we really understand the idea of corruption. We know what it means. That something has gone wrong. Something is not as it should be. It's become corrupt. All right? 
Here in Genesis chapter 6, God looks at the earth, he looks at the world and the people in it, and he sees that all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth, he says. See, what happened is this was not what God had planned for his creation. This is not what God intended for his, his people, for mankind to do. This is not what he created us to do. God's plan was corrupted, right? We know that because back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created the earth and everything in it, including man and woman, which he created in his image. Uh, he told man and woman to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, all these things. And when we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God was satisfied with what he had done. This was the way it was supposed to be. God was satisfied with what he did, and he declared it to be very good, the scripture says. So we come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, and in the first half of that, ver first half of that verse, scripture says, they, that's talking about Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, some of you Bible scholars out there know, well, that was a negative time. That's right after they sinned, and they were like, uh-oh, here comes God. But what I want you to see is the positive from this, that at that time, in Genesis chapter 3 anyway, God could walk in the garden with them. You see the, the level of intimacy, the, the close connection that, that was uh, uh, shared between God and his created uh, people, man and, and woman here? In addition to having created, uh, completing creation exactly the way he wanted to, to his satisfaction, to his approval, all these things we see here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 that God walked among them. That his presence was right there with them and was walking through the garden. There is this connection that's very close, again, very, very intimate, okay? This was good. This was very good. This was what God wanted, this close connection, this close fellowship with his people. Well, we know how things went with Adam and Eve, don't we? we we've all heard that story, even if we've never stepped foot in a church building, never read a Bible. Somebody, somewhere, we, you've been able to tell from context clues, you know, phrases and things they said, you know, oh, Adam, that Adam and Eve, they sinned, they messed up, right? We all know the story of what happened. We know that their sin, through their sin, they broke that connection, that close fellowship. That close connection that they had with God. That's through sin that that happened. You guys hear me say this all the time. We refer to Isaiah 59 too all the time. That reminds us that your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin creates this gulf, this, this chasm between us and God. It breaks our relationship with God. He is perfectly holy, right? We know God is perfectly holy. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible also tells us in Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 20, as well as in 1 Peter chapter 1, all these places in the Bible, that the Lord, he's quoted as commanding his people to be holy because he is holy. So there's this, there's this whole holiness thing that's going on. God's perfectly holy. He's called his people to be holy. But the problem is we aren't always that way. When we're not part of God's holy people. We're not behaving that way. When we're not trying, at least. When we're living in sin, when we're constantly entangled in all the stuff out here in the world, all that the world is offering us, all that the world is throwing at us to try to throw us off course and mess us up, when we do that, we sever our relationship with God. The, the result is alienation from God, this separation that Isaiah talks about. That's why um, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that's why he phrases his words the way he does when he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be 
reconciled to God. Something's been broken. There's been an alienation. There's been a separation. And so he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You've got to fix the relationship. You, you've got to find the way to, to get back to God, right? Be reconciled. And of course, Paul was ready and able to tell them how to do that, right? I guess I could put that up there for you. But the word reconciled is what we want to point out there. When we sin, we corrupt ourselves in the sight of God. That's what we need to understand. And to relate this to the story of Noah, we put ourselves outside the boat. Metaphorically speaking, however you want to say that, we put ourselves outside the boat. We make ourselves part of the, the wickedness that God was upset about, that God looked at and saw and was, was grieved in his heart, that upset him, that bothered him so much that, that we become the objects of his wrath, the very evil that he's going to come back and blot out again one day. That's the reality of the story of corruption. And as a result of that story, as a result of the story of corruption, we, we come to our next story, and that's this, the story of the end. See, the story of corruption brings about the story of the end. And verses, or after verses 5 and 6 told us about the corruption that God saw, Genesis chapter 6 verse 7, the very next verse says this, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. It was the exceptional level of corruption that God saw in the men that lived in Noah's day that caused the Lord to, to want to blot out man, to, to decide that that's the best way to handle things, that that's what needed to happen, that's what he was going to do. Now, sometimes we have a tendency when, when we're in difficult situations to say, well, you know, we're trying to calm ourselves down, right? Well, it, at least it's not the end of the world. But it was. For these people, it was the end of their world. This was the story of the end. But in verse 8, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, so it's really bad. All these people are really wicked. There's an end coming for them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't sentenced to the same, same uh, issues that they were, the, the same punishment, the same wrath that they were going to get. Verse 9 goes on to say that Noah was a righteous man. He's blameless in his time. And it says Noah walked with God. That's something you want to be said of you, by the way. And so then verse 13 says this. It says, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm, able, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Skip down to verse 17 and 18. And the scripture says, Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. Verse 18 says, But I will establish my covenant with you. When all the, the bad is coming down, when the verdict is coming down from God, it's always nice to hear that three-letter word, but. Okay, but God's going to do something different. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, talking to Noah, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. He's going to save them all, is what he's saying. That's what he's going to do. So in the midst of all this, God, God gives Noah, the part we skipped over was God giving Noah all these instructions on how to build the ark. We, we led with that, right? You, you've already heard everything that was on the, on the uh, invoice for the custom-ordered boat uh, that God, God had ordered through Noah. All those details are provided to Noah so that 
he and his family can be saved, can be physically saved from this flood, this actual physical flood that's going to wipe them all out. But with the exception of, of righteous Noah and his family, God's planning an end to everything that exists on the earth at this time. All the wickedness, all the evil that existed in the world, because of the corruption that the Lord saw in Noah's day, God was going to permanently wipe them out permanently take it all away. For everybody except Noah and his family, this is going to be the end, 100%. Not kind of the end, not, yeah, it's the end, but this is the end. It's over for these people. No more chances. Once that ark door closes, that's it. You know, we live on this side of the flood, and we think, you know, thank goodness God gave us a second chance. Well, yeah, there are ways that he definitely did, but I want you to understand, for these people, they reaped what they sowed. I mean, this is the end for them. It's over. They don't have a chance now. That was the end. They did their wickedness. They never repented. They never turned to God. They didn't get in the ark. It was the end. It was over. Permanent. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Who? Jesus connects this. To the days of Noah. Verse 38, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the, the coming of the Son of Man be. See, God's going to once again come and, and permanently remove evil from the world. This time through uh, eternal destruction, right? The, the earth itself is going to be destroyed. That, that's a physical destruction that's going to happen. But the wicked are going to be thrown into the outer darkness of hell. That's going to happen. We're told that in that place there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible talks so much about hell. We know plenty about hell. More than enough to know we don't want to go there. It's prepared. The Bible says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not for you and me. We don't want to go there, but, but we can earn our spot if we, don't, if we don't straighten up and fly right, right? I want you to consider the fact that the story of the end doesn't have to be a bad thing. I know that sounds simple, but let's not miss it. The story of the end doesn't have to be a, a negative thing. It can still be the end of one thing, but it doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. Now, if you're off to the outer darkness of hell, it's going to be a bad thing. But is that the only option we have? Absolutely not, right? So it's still the story of the end. The end is coming. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, just because the, the end is coming like a thief in the night doesn't mean that it has to be a bad thing. We can be surprised uh, by, by the timing of it, but it doesn't have to mean we go, oh no, he's back, right? We can be prepared. We can be ready for it. Even though we don't know when it's coming, we can be prepared for his coming. In Noah's day, the end of evil wasn't the end for him, right? Because he was righteous in the sight of God. Now, we come to Genesis chapter 7. The very first verse says this. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. And verse 5 says, Noah did. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now, this isn't the only time that the Bible says that Noah did exactly what God told him to do. It's written elsewhere as well. But this is an incredibly important time for Noah to do exactly as God had commanded him to do. 
Now, the reason it's so incredibly important is because God was about to do exactly what God said he would do, right? God says, get in this boat and you'll be saved. I'm about to wipe everything out. If you him haul around and you go, well, maybe later. Well, I've got a few things to do first. Well, I've got a to-do list that I've got to take care of that before I get in the boat. As soon as it's done, I'll be on that boat, right? You need to do exactly what God commanded you to do, like Noah did exactly as he was commanded to do, because God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. God sent the worldwide flood. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. I want to look at just a couple verses from that terrifying event and look at the good that's in there for Noah and his family. Look at verse 18. It says, The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. This is a bad deal. And the ark that Noah and his family were in, the ark floated on the surface of the water. See, that's different than sinking in the water, right? And then go to verse 23 with me here. It says, uh, thus he, that's God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. That's sinking. That's death. That's not surviving. But that last line says, and only Noah was left together with those who were with him in the ark. Remember that ark that was floating? They were in there and they were left after all that. 40 days of rainfall, 150 days of total flooding time, right? But those who did according to the command of God survived, were left, were saved. And when we come to the beginning of Genesis chapter 8, there verse 1 says this. It says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark and God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Skip down to verses 15 and 16. Scripture says, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. And then when we get all the way to the beginning of chapter 9, there's this blessing. It begins, chapter 9 begins with this blessing for Noah and his family. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. When the end of this world comes, it's a coming. When the end of this world comes and God again wipes away all the evil, all the wickedness that he sees in the world eternally this time, God will still save and will still bless those who are righteous in his sight. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Now you knew that, but I don't care to remind you. I like to do that. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. In, in the midst of all the, what looks like chaos, but it's planned destruction, it's what God has always said is going to happen in the end, and it, but it, it sounds bad, it's going to look bad. He knows how to rescue the godly, though. You get on the ark, you're going to be rescued. Righteous in his sight, you're going to be in the ark, you're going to be rescued, right? Well, that leads us right into our final story, and that's the story of you. I hope that you haven't forgotten this idea of standing next to the boat. This, this concept of you standing next to the boat. Because after the story of corruption that showed us the reason for there needing to be a boat, the fact that a flood's coming, the end is coming, and after that story of the end that showed us that salvation uh, is, is absolutely out of the question for anybody who isn't on the boat and is absolutely thoroughly guaranteed for those who are on the boat, we come to the story of you. Where are you standing relative to the boat? 
Now, for you and I who are standing on this side of, of the flood, you know, after the flood, historically speaking, and on this side of the cross, after Jesus' sacrifice, historically speaking, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21 says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, that's Jesus we're talking about, but made alive in the spirit in which, so in that spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the saints now in prison, who, so these saints who are now in prison, who at a different time, who once were disobedient, when? It says, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, in that ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism or immersion now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, it says Christ died for sins once for all. It's a little different than the way things were handled in the flood. Christ came and paid the price. It, and it says that in Jesus, there was no wrongdoing. Jesus was, was perfectly right and, and righteous. In him, there was no unjustness. He was perfectly just. And he died for our sins, for the sins of you and, and me who are unjust. So the just for the unjust, it says. And he did that so that when we corrupted our lives, it didn't have to be the end for us. See how this equates to Noah's story here? Jesus did it. Peter did it. They connected our lives back to Noah's lives. There is a great picture of our salvation or destruction, our righteousness or unrighteousness, right? That sort of thing. It's all here, right? Jesus did this so that when we corrupted our lives through sin, it didn't have to be the story of the end for us. Now, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, right? We've all come to that point where we've corrupted God's plan for us. But in the end, we can be found righteous like Noah was. We can be saved just like Noah was. We can be part of that family. Remember how it was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives? Uh, if you can do quick math, that's eight people in all. Remember how there was, a, there was a family? It wasn't just Noah. There was a family that was saved. God's made a way that we can be part of that family that he's going to save in the end. Just as 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, a few were brought safely through the water, the Lord's patience today, okay, like, like in the patience when he waited as the ark was being constructed, okay, something's being constructed, righteousness is being preached. This patience of the Lord today is giving everybody ample opportunity to get on the boat. Everybody's got the opportunity. You're sitting here right now, and you've got the opportunity, right? Anybody in here says, I, I don't have the opportunity? I understand you wouldn't speak now, but I, I, rhetorical question here. We all, we're all sitting here with the opportunity to get on the boat. The question is, are you on the boat? Are you in the boat, okay, safely? Because in the end, God is going to destroy wickedness again, eternally. And in the end, God is going to save the righteous again, this time, eternally. I want you to visualize something with me here. You don't have to close your eyes because that's always awkward and then nobody knows when to open their eyes again. Guys do that when they preach sometimes. Like, close your eyes with me. And then they open their eyes after 
You know, it's, it's awkward. I, I'm not going to do that. I might some other time because now it kind of sounds fun. <laughs> now that I say it out loud. Anyway, just visualize this with me if you will because this is important. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. I'll go back there for just a second. He says that Christ's own spirit was preaching in the days of Noah, while there was still time to get on the boat, while the ark was uh, being constructed, while it was being prepared, uh, while people had time to hear the preaching and had time to hear God's message and repent from their wicked ways. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You remember that? It, it talks about Noah, and it, it just kind of as a passing thought. It describes Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Now, you put those together, or I do. I don't know about you, but, but I think, uh, preacher's opinion here, you know, where, 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 make sure you know opinion. I think the Spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah. I think that's what this is saying. I don't think it's some weird, you know, like, you know, you know, the Lord came down from heaven and there was this ghostly looking figure that, you know, went into Noah. I don't think it's that. I think, I think this is how we're describing Noah preaching that righteousness. It was the Spirit of Christ in him that was preaching that message of righteousness. It's, it's what I think. Regardless, though, put yourself next to the boat. I'm going to skip on just so that I don't forget. You've already seen this slide. Regardless of whether I'm right or wrong about the Spirit of Christ thing and, and Noah preaching righteousness, we know that righteousness was preached through the Spirit of Christ, through Noah as he was constructing the ark, and probably his sons as well. Regardless of all these things, I want you to put yourself up next to that boat. While Noah and his boys were working on this great construction project, this custom order boat, like the world had never seen before. I want you to actually do that. Put yourself next to the boat. Now, you're there. Everybody there? Okay, good deal. Knowing what you know about people, knowing what people are capable of, and I'm not talking about the good, I'm talking about the, the nasty and the, the terrible and the, the heinous and the terrifying and the shocking and all those things, knowing what you know about people what they're capable of. And knowing what you, what you read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, that says that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Knowing that, do you suppose some nasty words were thrown at Noah and his family? Do you suppose that some horrific insults were, were hurled at Noah and his family. I don't want you to think too long and hard about it, but I do want you to picture the reality of what it was probably like. Do you suppose that some of these people who were doing this may have even seen other people walking by, family members, friends, strangers, and said, you know, come on, you know, let's pile on. Try to encourage them to reject Noah and his family and to mock them and to hurl the same insults and try to, you know, hey, hey let's get this chant going. Do you think some of that could have happened in all that time? that the Lord was patient while Noah was constructing the ark? I think it's pretty realistic. Can you picture the mob mentality taking hold? That's terrifying. I've kind of been in small versions of that, and it's, it always feels like suddenly, like, how did this happen? You know, we said last week, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, you just make one little comment uh, of righteousness, or one little comment of trying to turn someone to righteousness and maybe calm them down and it explodes and then the mob mentality takes hold and you're surrounded by a group of people and you don't really know what they might do next. See it in the news. 
things like that. I know of some of my brothers who have been in those situations and sisters who have been in that situation, the brothers and sisters in Christ, that is. Can you picture that? Can you picture the, the disbelief, those people who didn't believe anything Noah was saying, weren't even taking him seriously. Can, can you picture that uh, becoming that, that mindset, that state of their heart becoming more and more deeply rooted in them? I, I mean, they're just getting hardened after the years and years and years go by. Generation, like the next generation and their kids now are in on this. These people probably circled that boat every day on the way to the field, on their way back out of the field, you know, whatever. They just find an opportunity to swing by that boat and make themselves feel a little bit better about themselves and really just tear Noah down. And then one day, Maybe it looked like Noah and his family had, had had enough. They'd given up. Because that, that door was closed. And Noah and his family, somebody said they saw him go inside. So they suspect that's where they are because they can't find him anywhere. And they think that maybe Noah and his family, like I said, have, have given up. The boat's finished and the door is shut. And I can imagine that some of those people were probably thinking um, <clears throat> of some, some creative ways to, to take stabs at them and, and jabs at them again, to, to throw these insults their way and to, to express their, their rejection toward them, creative ways to do that from outside the boat while they were inside the boat to make sure they heard it and to make sure they were hurt by it. Now, I would imagine maybe that was kind of the thought of some of these people in that time. And then those first couple drops, what's this? Guys, guys, what is this? You know? Can, can you imagine those first droplets of rain falling from the sky? Can you imagine uh, some being like, no. And some being like, uh, no. Like, some are panicked. Some are, are still rejecting the idea in their mind that they can physically feel on their hands and their faces. Can you imagine what that, can you put yourself there? You're next to the boat in this group of people, and, and it starts. And then that sprinkle becomes a rain, a steady rain. And then that steady rain becomes this heavy rain. And then there's a torrential downpour and it's beating against their bodies and the earth beneath them so loudly that they can't hear themselves really think about what they want to think about. Their own minds are overwhelmed by the, the loudness of this rain that's beating down and it's just freaking them out. They, they can't think. And they're screaming at each other, what is this? Guys, what's going on? Like, it, they're losing their minds, and it's so loud in this situation. They've not heard this before. It's beating against the boat. It's beating against the ground. It's coming through the trees. You know what the rain sounds like in the trees? Torrential downpour, even louder. They're panicked. They're, they're losing their minds in this moment. And next thing you know, they're walking around. They're sloshing through a, a shallow pool. It's only a few inches deep at this point, but it's, as far as the eye can see, it's everywhere. Never, ever have they seen anything like this. And again, the sheer volume of the rain coming down, the audible volume of the rain coming down, the loudness blowing their minds. Now after some panicked screaming conversations with one another, a handful of them I would imagine probably run up to the side of the ark 
And then as other people start to notice it and the screaming uh, subsides for, for a few of them, they, they see, oh yeah, let's run over to the ark. And Noah said, that's where we should go. That's what's gonna save us from this thing. I'm willing to try anything now. So then it's a large group, then it's the mob, then it's just about everybody who is standing next to the boat who hasn't run in some other direction. They're all up there and they're all beating on the boat. Let us in, let us in, let us in. Screaming at the top of their lungs, beating as hard as they can to try to express how desperate they are. They are as desperate as a person can possibly get, and they want in that boat. It's a terrifying scene. But that's not all that's going on. You could come up with that in your own imagination. There's other things that you don't want to imagine. Because they're small children who belonged to selfish, disobedient, rebellious, wicked fathers who are now swirling in those floodwaters. And so the adolescents, a little bit, little bit bigger kids, and the adults, they start reaching for anything they can find. And they start climbing anything that's still above the water at this point. Trying to save themselves. But it's all in vain, right? Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. And the Lord is in the process at this point of doing exactly what he said he would do. It's all in vain. As scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. It was time for them to pay the price before you feel too bad for them. It was time to pay the price for what they had done. They were sowing what they had reaped. Harvest time had come for their deeds, their actions. It's heartbreaking though. It's heartbreaking to think that so many people didn't get on the boat. Right? I mean, ultimately that's the thought that prevails in our minds. We can know that they got what they had coming to them, but ultimately, it's heartbreaking that so many didn't get on the boat. It's heartbreaking to think that, that some may have had a little, just a little tinge of this idea that, that maybe we should have got on the boat, you know, or like they thought before this that they should have got on the boat. It's heartbreaking to think that they didn't. And it's heartbreaking to think of all those people who when the rain came down and they were in part of that scene that we described, they knew they needed to be on that boat. It was clear to them that they needed to be on that boat. And they weren't. Guys, many of us, I, I know, we would watch the scene of Noah preaching. Like if we could see this on, on, on film, uh, we could you know, be a fly on the wall, so to speak, in this actual event, whatever. We would look at the scene of Noah preaching, the rejection that came from all the people in that time, the lack of concern, that apathy that they had. And then we would see the ark closing, the rain falling, the waters rising, the people screaming and banging on the sides of the boat. And we would think, Why? The why that we're asking is, why didn't they get on the boat? Like, you had an invitation. You were told, this is happening. I've done all this work for all these years. Even in the midst of all your screaming and your mocking and your ridicule, why didn't they get on the boat? Mm, we hurt for them, if we really think about it for a minute or two. If we make this real, like it is in our minds, we wonder... Why didn't they just get on the boat? What were they waiting for? Where are you standing today? Next to the boat? In the boat? I'm not asking whether you think you're in the boat. And I'm not asking whether you, whether you plan to get on the boat. That's not really as important as do you know that you're on the boat? According to God's word, right? Because you can't just know because you got, a, you got a good feeling. 
you know, or you got indigestion and, you know, well, that's probably the whole spirit. <laughs> not if you feel it, not if you think it. Do you know, according to God's word, because that's what matters, do you know, according to God's word, down to the book, chapter, and verse, that you're on the boat, that you're going to be saved, okay? Uh, if you don't know for sure, sooner rather than later, let's be sure to get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's study. Let's be sure about you being on or, or off the boat. As in the days of, Lo of Noah, the, the Lord's patience can run out at any point in time, right? There came a time when the flood happened. The Lord's patience is going to run out one of these days, so to speak, and it could be at any moment. He could return at any moment, and that door to salvation will be effectively shut. So even if you're like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm like 98% certain, but you don't know is there anything more important than making sure that you know? Even if you, you sit down with me, or stand up with me, I don't care, and we have a conversation, and we look at the Bible, and you disagree, like, wouldn't it be valuable? Wouldn't it be, don't you see it as the most important thing you could do now before it's too late to make sure? Because you don't want the water coming down, and then the water rising up, and then be thinking about it, it's too late. You don't want the end of this world, judgment to come, the trumpets to blast, the Lord to descend, and then you think, ah, the, that 2% uncertainty. Because how many links of the chain need to be broken for the, for the whole chain to be useless? Just the one. So if there's one thing out of line, we've got to get that figured out. I'm pleading with you. As in the days of Noah here. And I'm asking you, where do you want to be? Maybe that's a good way to put it. Where, where, where do you want to be? Are you, are you planning? Like, like, is it actually your plan to stand next to the boat? To just be really close to it? Or do you want to be on the boat? Do you want to be safely, securely on the boat? I'd imagine there's not a person in this room that's like, you know, sign me up for destruction. It'll probably be less crowded. Well, the truth is, it'll be far more crowded, and it's destruction. So, what are you waiting for? Quit putting it off. Quit waiting for a better time. Let's, let's start the conversation today. Let's, let's get you safely on the boat. I'm going to do something a little different than I um, normally do in this time. You guys know that... Um, most churches, what they'll do, and I'm just going to be real open and honest here real quick, and hopefully it doesn't annoy you. Um, most churches during this time are going to maybe briefly explain the gospel to you, or they, they wiggled it into the sermon somehow. You know, did I wiggle the gospel into this sermon, you think? Yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like it was sort of tailor-made that way. <laughs> but God did that. I, I didn't have to work at that. I was like writing this stuff on paper. It was like, oh, oh, oh. Like I was getting surprised at each moment that I'm like, oh, and Peter talks about it and Jesus talked about it. It's all connected. Wow, mind blown. But normally during this time, it's, you know, the water's warm. Come on, be baptized. Be part of the family. Get on the boat. But you guys know that I don't, I don't do that anymore. I did that for a period of time. You guys know that now I'm more interested in making sure I make a disciple because the, the Bible only gives me um, authority to baptize someone who is a disciple. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing who? Them. Who's them? The disciple. Baptize the disciples that you made in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all that good stuff, and keep teaching them uh, everything that you've learned. 
So, I don't want to twist your arm into coming up here and getting dunked in water so that 12 years from now I say something that you're like, Jake, I just don't know if, if I did it for the right reason. You know, if that's where you stand, that's, that's fine. I, we've taken care of a lot of those situations. But what I want to do is get it right the first time. I want to have a conversation with you. So what I want to do, though, that's a little different than what I normally do is instead of saying let's get together and study and then having a seat, I want to say we're going to sing an invitation hymn here in just a second. It's a, it's a, a hymn of response. Jesus is calling. We're going to sing this in just a moment. And we're going to kind of do a hybrid version of this invitation. And it's not, I'm not trying to be silly or hokey here. But, but what I'm saying is we're going to sing this song and if you need to come forward to let me know, and I or yourself, it doesn't matter, can let the church know, we've deemed it's time. It's time to get together and study. It's time to get together and, and, and work this out with fear and trembling, as, as the Bible says. Is that Philippians? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's time to get it figured out because we don't know when the Lord's patience will end. We don't know when the end is coming and we don't want the ends to be destruction. We want the ends to be salvation. And so what we're going to do and you don't nobody, I don't want anybody to feel pressured. That's not what I'm create, trying to create. What I'm trying to create is if you think you know what, I've been thinking for the last three, four, five weeks that I need to do this. But it's real easy to go to lunch, get out of here when it's over with, you know, hustle out because oh my goodness look what time it is. You know, and I keep leaving. But boy, when I'm here and I hear the word of God, I'm like, man, I, got, I need to do this. Maybe now, while it's fresh, maybe this is what you need. Maybe you need to come forward as we sing the invitation hymn and, and make that decision and, and let everybody know. There's kind of a built-in accountability because this church family saw that you want to do this, that it's time to do this. So we're going to sing 482. Dennis is going to come and, and lead us in this song, Jesus is Calling. And I'm going to just park myself right here. And if you need to come forward, again, no pressure. This is just if you think this would be beneficial for you, valuable for you to just go ahead and say it, I'm going to do it. Then you can come forward during this time. Let's, let's stand and sing. You're welcome to come forward at any time if you need to do that.